your Wednesday Daily Delivery. I am Michael Rand. Glad to have you guys back for another day. Big, big show coming up today. Lots and lots and lots and lots and lots to talk about. Not an exaggeration when I use all of those lots. Um, Got to get to the Wolves. Talked about them a lot on Tuesday's show, but things did not get any better. 116-107 loss to the Suns. On the surface, doesn't sound so bad, but the way they did it, um, the starters again performing poorly, all of them in the minus side of the plus minus, while the reserves by and large played pretty well. Got to get into that and uh, talk about where thing, where things stand as they keep going forward. The Bucks are next, so got to figure some things out relatively soon here as the competition gets better. Got to get to the Wild. They won 4-1. Everything seems well with that team again. Um, some continuity. Um, Showing it, showing how that is a is a positive thing, and how they uh, how they've kind of turned their season around quickly. Good goaltending always helps, and that uh, that continued to be the case with Mark Andre Fleury having a strong game in that four to one win over Montreal. Some uh, some bad go for uh, basketball injury news. Sounds like Jamison Battle is going to miss the opener. We'll not know when exactly he'll be back. Sounds like a minor injury, but even a minor injury to Jamison Battle is cause for concern with that team. Randy Johnson, Gopher Football Beat Writer, will join me here in a little bit to talk about that team, to talk about the win over Rutgers, what to look for in Saturday's game against Nebraska, and a sneak peek ahead to uh, next year's Big Ten schedule, which gets quite a bit harder than it was this year. First, though, what did I miss? Got to talk about the big Vikings trade deadline acquisition of TJ Hawkinson, I'm sure. Um, Ben Gessling and Andrew Kramer and I will talk about it some more later on today on Access Vikings. That podcast should be posted later this afternoon or this evening. But, uh, you know, just right off the top of the bat, a few things I had to, had to have thought about, say about, uh, about that. One, um, it, it does signal to a certain degree Vikings going for it this season. I don't think it's like a push all the chips in kind of move. You don't, you didn't trade two first-round picks or something. Hawkinson's not that kind of player. But, <clears throat> you know, trading a couple of decent picks, a second and a third-round pick, getting a couple of fourths back plus Hawkinson. So you're giving up a decent amount of draft equity in these next uh, these next drafts coming up. Um, you know, it does show that you're not afraid to go for it in a certain degree. Hawkinson's definitely an upgrade at tight end. We'll get a little bit into what he brings to the table here in a minute. But just... You know, from an overall philosophy standpoint, this does seem like, you know, new new, new GM, Quesito Fomensa, meeting the moment to a certain degree, understanding that this team is 6-1, and one, probably playing above expectations, maybe even playing above what their record could be or should be had they not won all these close games, but they are 6-1 and one in this moment. The rest of the division is 3-5 and five or worse. The rest of the conference seems relatively wide open at this point as well and you know this being his first trade deadline showing that hey if you put yourself in a position to be you know to be this good to be in a position to win we will add players to the mix and a part of that is out of necessity right that's the second point here Irv Smith Jr. goes on injured reserve on on Tuesday with that uh, with that high ankle sprain should be out several weeks now obviously with that designation and with that injury um I'd be very curious to know if they would have made this move even if Smith was healthy because Smith was not having 
a great season. And you know, part of the problem with Smith over the years is that he has been unable to stay on the field. So this was just another example of him getting unfortunately injured. But even before this, 22 catches for 168 yards this season for Irv Smith Jr. Hawkinson, by contrast, 26 catches, 395 yards. Um, so maybe we can get into a little bit of what he brings now because I watched a couple clips of kind of his bigger plays this season. One was a, a really long catch and run against Seattle where you know, he kind of took a pass, you know, pretty intermediate route, um, went to the sideline, uh, you know, got through some some arm tackles and just took it down the sideline all the way to the to inside the ten yard line. So that's the kind of breakaway potentially has. Same with the Dolphins. Dolphins blitzed. Hawkinson looked like he was in man coverage, beat beat man coverage um, on a you know on a not a deep deep pass, but a pretty a, you know a longer throw, and then caught it, kept going, went fifty eight yards on that play. So he's got some of that big play tight end catch ability that I think uh, that they will that they will benefit from but I also think that he will help Kirk Cousins in a lot of different ways help him with some of the short targets help him with some of the rollout game they haven't really got their rollout game going much this season that was a big uh, big thing they did well last season a big thing that they've done well with Kirk Cousins over the years is you know roll him out get him to one side and maybe they haven't had to do it as much this season because the offensive line play has been better to a large degree but that was a good weapon for them and I think this year when they've done it, a lot of times it's been with Johnny Munt, and no offense to Johnny Munt, who's still healthy, who's still playing, but those plays are not going to go for a lot of yards when it's Johnny Munt. He just doesn't have the breakaway speed, does not have the uh, doesn't have the elusiveness. So those plays are going to go for maybe three or four yards, not seven or eight yards, not ten yards, not those chunk plays that you get unexpectedly when you have a playmaker like T.J. Hawkinson in that spot. So they bring that to the table as well. So adds a dimension to the offense now that they just didn't have, and we've talked. You know, for the last few weeks, about do they need to add one more piece to the passing game? And you know, again, because Smith is injured, this is more you know kind of a one for one move, but it's an upgrade in that regard anyway. Um, especially over the way Smith had been playing this season, um, takes a little bit of the pressure off of Adam Thielen, Justin Jefferson, KJ Osborne, uh, Dalvin Cook. You know, their other skilled playmakers gives them another. Just another playmaker in that offense that Kirk Cousins can look to and 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 have that go-to guy, that guy that they can trust uh, to make a big play for him. So that is huge. Just that confidence that he will give them to uh, to make a big play. Now he's a obviously you know a highly a highly regarded player. He was the number eight overall pick in the 2019 draft. Uh, funny enough, same draft that Irv Smith Jr. was picked in. Um, Hawkinson because he was a first round pick. Had that fifth-year option, it was picked up, so it sounds like he is under contract for next year as well. Doesn't count much on this year's cap, which is nice, but we'll make about $9 million, a little bit more next year, which could certainly spell the end of the uh, Irv Smith Jr. era because he is a free agent after this season, and you would not count, you do, you would not keep two guys who have that same skill set with for a lot of money after this year, I would not imagine. So this could be the end of the Irv Smith era, but it could be the start of TJ Hawkinson in Minnesota, at least for this and next year, and maybe even more if he proves to be a very good fit. So, you know, bottom line with this move is, I think a lot of fans were excited. I think they thought it was a good trade. I think it was too. Uh, you know, pass catchers, pass catching tight ends like Hawkinson don't come around all that often. Um, someone who can affect a game like that from the tight end spot. I think he was fourth among tight ends in catches in 
2020, he had 61 again last year before he got hurt towards the end of the year. And again, already with almost 400 receiving yards in just seven games this season for Detroit, which let's face it, does not have the same sort of dynamic offense that the Vikings have. So maybe he will thrive even more here in Minnesota. Uh, he's an Iowa native, went to Iowa, um, you know, starred there. Again, number eight overall pick, so you know the pedigree. You know he was highly regarded coming out of college. Um, I think overall people are excited about this, and I think for good reason. I think he's a guy that helps your team quite a bit. He's a guy that you know maybe you didn't expect them to go to be able to go get because he is so good and because he's from a division foe. But that seems to be less of an issue than it used to be because the Vikings did trade with the Lions and Packers during the draft, if you will recall. So I think overall you just look at this and say, hey. You know, didn't have to give up a ton. Uh, you got you give up some draft capital, but you didn't have to go wild. You didn't have to do anything drastic to your cap, and you got yourself better. I'd say that is a pretty good trade, a pretty good way to look at it by the Vikings. And you know, doesn't guarantee doesn't guarantee them anything down the stretch, but it does give them one more option and a very good one at that. Take a playcation to Mystic Lake with twenty four seven gaming. The good times never have to end. And you can satisfy your cravings at our restaurants and bars. Or relax in one of our luxurious hotel rooms. Those that play together, stay together. And don't forget to join Club M so you can spark new memories and bask in the rewards along the way. Follow the lights to Mystic Lake, where every day is play day. Let's talk gopher football now with Randy Johnson, covers that team for the Star Tribune. Um, Randy, they got back on track last week, uh, maybe not surprisingly, 31 nothing over Rutgers, and basically all their wins this year have been pretty lopsided and against teams that have definitely struggled against uh, other, you know, other decent opponents. They've yet to still, you know, maybe have that signature win. Maybe we thought Michigan State was that win, but I don't think that is at this point. Nonetheless, um, they've got to feel good about getting you know, whatever track they were on at the beginning of the year, feeling like they're closer to that now after last week's win. Yeah, it was it was pretty much a required situation for them. You know, they they needed to stop that bleeding, you know, and that losing streak at three and not let it get to four. And they did so against Rutgers. They they, you know, it was a pretty pretty vanilla game plan, but it was effective. They they started off with a, a 19 play, 99 yard drive that took 10 27. Next next possession they uh, have, uh, it was uh, 13 plays, 86 yards, and it took uh, about seven minutes. So it it, it was, um, you know, it was just they bludgeoned them from the start and, and wore them down and basically got that 14 nothing lead and, you know, just kind of kind of played uh, clock control for most of the game and then popped, up, popped a couple uh, touchdowns after a couple uh, Tyler Newman interceptions in the fourth quarter. And that's generally where PJ Flex teams are at their best, right? When they can do the ball control, when they can establish the ground game, things like that. The push pull to that obviously has always been can they throw it when they need to? And they obviously didn't need to against Rutgers, but I still think there are times when people want to see that even in games where they don't need to do it. And there was some of that questioning this week, even after the win. How, how do you think PJ Fleck looks at that when it comes to, you know, throwing against teams where you don't necessarily have to throw the ball to win? Yeah, I think it was a situation where he didn't want to do any harm. Uh, you know, you, you have Tanner coming, Tanner Morgan coming off the concussion. Um, you, I guess he didn't want to expose him to a ton of hits, and he didn't want to turn the ball over. You know, he, he explains that uh, 
they've gotten into trouble in games when they've uh, went deep, and usually it's, and those weren't games where they they were they ended up losing. Um, they're probably playing from behind. They're definitely playing from behind in those. So you get in a fourth situation. Yeah, this would have been a time possibly to okay. Let's see, see what they had uh, opening up. But he, you know, he just really didn't want to feed Rutgers anything that could could get them back in the game. I think Fleck after the game said he's not afraid to say he's a better coach when Mo is on the field. And that's, you know, that's just true. I mean, what, what else can we say about him? Another, another hundred yard game, another you know, kind of part of that legacy and, you know, record setting legacy. Um, I don't know. I, you probably have a better base of go for football history than me. Where, where do you put him among, you know, among some of their all time great running backs? He's got to be way up there. He's, he's, uh, you know, he has, he has an outside chance uh, uh, to uh, break Daryl Thompson's career record for rushing yards. Uh, it uh, basically, he, if, if they uh, might take a bowl game to, to get there, uh, he could do it in four. If he averaged 170 or 180 right in there, I've done all the uh, complete numbers on the orbit with five, you know, he's, it'd be down to an average of 130. Um, yeah, that could happen. He, he's, he's up there. Um, up there with Daryl Thompson, I'd, I'd say uh, Lawrence Maroney and Mary Barber III are up there. Moe's not the explosive uh, breakaway speed guy like uh, like uh, Maroney was, but you know, just just so effective in moving the chains, just just wears wears people down, and uh, you know, v- great vision. Uh, agree, he does a great job of at times making himself small, so he you know gets in the the tight places and you know hides behind linemen in in, in a way. And didn't he joke uh, when he came back? He's not, he's not getting any faster. He's just got to kind of do his thing. Uh, what, what was, I can't remember what he said at the beginning of the year, but you know, one of those, you know, one of those guys like Tanner Morgan and some of those other guys that came back for another try trying to do something special this year. Yeah. And it, it you know, it didn't, it hasn't worked out the way they've wanted it with the big 10 West race They're uh, you know, they're behind in that there. It, it would take a big collapse by both Illinois and Purdue, Purdue for them to, to get ahead of those because both of those have the tiebreakers on them if it came down to head to head. Um, so, but they can still salvage a decent season here if they, you know, if they can run the table. Uh, it's not going to be necessarily easier on the table. It's uh, Wisconsin at the end, they're playing a lot better. Um, Nebraska, since the coaching chain has been playing pretty well and find out a lot more about them this week. Yeah, I was going to say, that's just a good transition point to this Saturday's game, Gophers at Nebraska. I believe that's an 11 a.m. kickoff. Um, you know, Nebraska still though three and five. They did. They have been a little bit more competitive, but they still lost what 26 nine to Illinois. Um, you know, Illinois has been pretty good against a lot of teams this year, so don't take too much from that. But you know, if you're just kind of looking at this game and thinking, well, you know, Gophers have a better record. Nebraska has been down. What scares you about Nebraska if you're the Gophers? I would just say their athleticism. You know, they, they have some. They have some players. Uh, they, they. DJ uh, was joking that you know you, you you look look across the field and they all look like they're they all look the part. They look like they're pro players almost. Uh, you know, they, they have the transfer wideout from LSU who's doing doing a good job for him for them. Um, their quarterback situation is a little bit murky right now with Casey Thompson uh, having a hand injury suffered uh, last week. So. The Gophers might be looking at a different quarterback uh, there. They have to figure out a, what you know what type of style they'll be they'll be playing against. Um, yeah, Nebraska's got talent there. It's it's a matter of them putting it together. Yeah, so that was kind of the whole Scott Frost era before he got fired, right? I mean, they were close, <clears throat> maybe not close to being you know a, 
a title contender, but close to being at least competitive in a lot of those games and those those close games were what were doing them in. So the, 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 a team like that, I suppose, can be dangerous, even especially now after the uh, after the coaching change. And you were telling me before we started recording, um, last time the Gophers went down in Nebraska was kind of that lost season of 2020, the, the COVID year where they only played, I think, seven games total, and they were just ravaged by COVID when they went down there, but did still manage to come away with a win. What did some of the guys uh, you talked to Tuesday remember about that uh, that time? Um, you know, just how cold it was that day. It was a very, very cold December day. Uh, the other thing that a lot of them talked about was how um, at the end, uh, Mo Ibrahim uh, had, had a long run, uh, takes a knee out before the goal line so he doesn't go in, doesn't get Nebraska the ball back. They end up winning by seven, but, you know, probably would have been a little, little bit more if they if he would have decided to go, uh, go in for the touchdown. But strategy-wise, it made perfect sense. Okay, sure. That makes that makes sense. You know, and just thinking about that, how that was only two years ago is a good reminder of just, you know, how much disruption there was just across cultural. I know it happened to everybody, but, you know, we kind of think about these things in in black and white. And I still sometimes wonder what might have been with this program, even though they had a good year last year and they've had a, a decent year this year and still have a chance to be something this year. <clears throat> what might have happened from a program building standpoint had they not gotten that momentum from 2019 just stopped stone cold in 2020 yeah you really wonder that's 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 a very good question because that you know coming off that uh, a top 10 finish in the ap poll uh, uh, a nice bowl win over an sec opponent uh you know that's that they had all the momentum in the world there and it just it that did stunted a bit um you know they they came back decent last year but stubbed their toe a couple times that that, that caused that cost them a chance at the big 10 west title and this year uh, that the especially the Purdue game with you know all the errors they made in that one that's that one's going to haunt them the rest of the season. Looking back is one thing. Looking forward is another. Let's finish with um, this idea, Randy. I mean, the, one of the reasons this year hurts so much is you looked at the schedule <clears throat> and it was pretty favorable. Not just the teams they were going to play in the Big Ten West, but some of the crossover games. It seemed like you know Penn State was going to be a tough one, but just across the board, it looked like there were a lot of winnable games. Next year, you get Ohio State and Michigan back on the schedule. That Big Ten schedule released just a few days ago. Um, what do you make of what they have up against them uh, next year? It's a challenging schedule, and then that includes the non-conference too. They uh, they they go to North Carolina, which uh, you know that's their Tar Heels are decent decent program. Um, one of their home games is uh, Louisiana Lafayette, and you know that's been a team that's uh, pulled some upsets over the years. You know they're they're Coach uh, uh, Billy Napier now at Florida, so you know they've produced produced some players and produced some coaches. Uh, you know, so then then you get into you know, they they open with Nebraska uh, on a Thursday night and and um, to start the season. So we'll know a little bit about about them right away. Yeah, finishing thought here, Randy. What uh, you know, we talked a little bit about what might scare someone about against Nebraska. Will the Gophers have to do more than they did against Rutgers in this game? And if so. Are they ready to, you know, let Tanner Morgan loose a little bit more if they need to do that? Yeah, I, I think they're going to have to. I, I don't think they're just going to be able to rely on Muhammad Ibrahim all, all by himself in that offensive line. It, it's they do need to have a, a passing threat in there. Um, you know, there were times they could have passed against Rutgers and chose not to. I, I, I would think that they'll they'll have some opportunities. You know, the key to them is getting getting the lead and playing from ahead. When when they do that, they're they're a pretty good team. They're they're not 
built to come back um, from multiple scores down. So getting the lead, that'll that'll set up the ability to pass a little bit better. I, I would think, and I you know I think Nebraska would be. Uh, Rutgers had a really good run defense, but go for two advantage. But Nebraska probably, um, you know, not quite as good against the run, but uh, they're poised to score more, a lot more than Rutgers did. So it, it, it it's one that, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't expect a shutout this week. No, but, no, but if it's, it's one that if you're going to have any kind of thought of a, a reclaimed season, you got to have this yeah. one. So we'll, we'll see if they can get it on Saturday. Um, Randy, good stuff. We'll, uh, we'll check in again next week. All right. Sounds good, Mike. Thanks a lot. Good stuff from Randy Johnson. As always one postscript to our conversation. I was, uh, not shocked, but very surprised when I looked at the point spread, the odds for this game, go for 16 point favorites going into Nebraska in this game. I defy you to ever find a game where that was the case. Um, but that is the case this year. Nebraska real, really struggling. They already, like we said, like we talked about, fired Scott Frost. But uh, I believe that's a bigger point spread even than the Gophers had at home against Rutgers last weekend. And, you know, again, that was coming off a three-game losing streak. Gophers now back on track to a certain degree after that 31 nothing win. But just shows you how bad Nebraska is this season, how far they've fallen. Opportunity the Gophers have to get to 6-3, and three, to get bowl eligible, to feel like, okay, at least... Well, at least we have something that we're building momentum towards at the end of this year. Now, a loss on the flip side, and I'm sure they don't want to think this way. People within the program don't think this way, but a loss would be pretty devastating because, again, the opportunity ahead of them is against a team that has struggled by and large this season and does not have much left to play for this year. So we'll see if they can get it done on Saturday. Um, you know, and I, I don't, you know, I don't know exactly what version of the Gophers we'll see. I don't know, you know, what version of Tanner Morgan we'll see. But um, the versions that they've shown up against poor teams this year, Nebraska certainly qualifies as a poor team this year. Uh, those versions of the Gophers have been more than up to the task against these less-than-stellar opponents. Let's talk Gophers really quick, too, before we get to uh, Wolves and Wild at the end of the show. Jamison Battle, Gophers uh, basketball, very good forward, uh, really a bright spot on last year's team. Um, a lot, A lot riding on him this season as they brought in some other good players he is going to miss the opener uh with a foot injury doesn't sound like it's terribly serious but you know a foot injury you never want to mess around with that um he had minor surgery ben johnson said tuesday so it sounds like it's low level week to week um he's not gonna be back for week one but you know i would imagine this doesn't linger too far deep into his season but we'll see when he's back anytime he's off the court that is a that's a bummer for the for the gophers so um, hopefully he can come back soon. Good guy. He was on the show a couple times with uh, with us last year. Really well-spoken, really interesting, good basketball insights. So speedy recovery, and we'll see him on the court relatively soon. Speaking of on the court, let's talk about the Timberwolves, even though I don't want to. You know, when I say I don't want to, I realize this is my show. I can do what I want. Um, I, I, don't, I don't want to talk about the same things over and over again, but the same problems are plaguing this team that I talked about just yesterday. Went pretty deep on D'Angelo Russell and some options that the, the Timberwolves might have if he doesn't get things straightened out in the coming weeks. Uh, he had a terrible game on uh, on Tuesday night against Phoenix. Just two of eight from the field. Um, 
four rebounds, four assists, a minus 25 points in just 23 minutes, which is also telling and also interesting. Um, you know, Chris Finch had obviously seen enough of some of his starters in this game because the minutes were not distributed quite as equally or abundantly as they had been. Jaden McDaniels was a minus 18 in just 17 minutes, scored just four points. So McDaniels with 17 minutes, Russell with 23 minutes. Those guys got fairly, you know, fairly quick hooks. Jordan McLaughlin back, uh, played pretty well. He was a plus six in nine minutes. Jalen Noel, a plus 14. Naz Reed, a plus 10. Torian Prince, a plus six. All these guys off the bench running the offense like Chris Finch wants it to be run and really getting the Wolves back into this game at various points. It was a, a mostly lineup of reserves plus Anthony Edwards that helped the Wolves get back to within 87-85 with about nine minutes left in the fourth quarter before the starters came back in, turned the ball over a whole bunch of times, everything fell apart, and there you have it. I think the most damning quote in all of this was from head coach Chris Finch. Um, he was asked after the game what improvements he's seen from the starting group. Um, reading from uh, from Chris Hines' game story here, he says, well, there really hasn't been a whole lot of growth with that unit just yet. Ouch. Um, he's not wrong. The, the starting unit, like I pointed out the other day, has been a net minus for the season, and that certainly carried over yesterday because all of the players for the Wolves who are who were in the starting lineup were minus players. Like I said, McDaniel's a minus 18, Russell a minus 20, Edwards and Carl Anthony Towns a minus 12, Rudy Gobert a minus 14. By the way, Rudy Gobert only attempted one field goal in 32 minutes. He did try seven free throws, made them all, had nine rebounds, had a block, but not the impact you would want him to have in that game. Towns and Edwards with 24 points apiece. They were okay. Um, you know, not the, not the most of their problems. Towns finished with 10 rebounds, seven assists too. So he was pretty good in this game, but you know, they still, they got to figure this out. They're not obviously not clicking anywhere near where they want to be clicking. And so now it's that push pull, right? It's that push pull between, you know, you're going to need these players to play well. If you're going to have not just a good season, but a great season, right? You, you, you've got these expectations now from the Rudy Gobert trade, from you know everything that you've you know, pushed the chips in to a certain degree with all these draft picks you've given up. These guys need to figure it out, and it's only eight games into the season. So like I said yesterday, we're not in panic mode yet. We're not in the mode where they should be you know throwing everything overboard. But you know, but you can't keep giving games away or being less competitive with a less competitive lineup, even if it's on paper your best lineup, because those games are going to count down the stretch. And these are the things we talked about before the season started. How how fast could they? learn how fast could they catch up with these guys that clearly were going to need some extra time to get, you know, to get up to speed with each other. Townsend Gobert barely played with each other in the preseason, things like that. You know, it's one, one thing to play in practice, get up to speed that way. It's much different to play at game speed. So how long can they continue to go with a lineup that is not being productive in hopes that they will start to click and be productive down the stretch? They can't keep giving away games. I'm not saying they would have beaten Phoenix. Anyway, Phoenix a very good team in Phoenix. Um, but that's a game you like to be a little bit more competitive and not just make, not just throw a scare in them You know, early in the fourth quarter before the starters come back in and then order is restored. And it's kind of funny. I watched up until that point, shut it off because I had to go to bed. I was like, I know how this game is going to end. Phoenix is going to go on a run right now, right after I turn this off, and that's going to be the end of it. And that's how it ended up being. So, you know, again, 
not all not the sky is not falling, but it's not looking it's not pretty right now. The sky is full of clouds. How about that? They're not a fun watch right now, at least not when the five starters are out there. And they need to figure this out relatively soon. I I put twenty games on it the other day. I think twenty games is still a good benchmark. You can probably muddy muddy your way through to ten and ten by that point, and then reassess what's working, what isn't working, and then maybe at that point you need to make some major lineup adjustments and you know D'Angelo Russell is the obvious one to me, like I said, because you've got nothing invested in him beyond this season. These other guys, you've got a lot invested in them in the future, and he's frankly the one that's playing the worst out of the starting five um, consistently so far this season. So we will see what happens with all of that, but right now it's not pretty, and uh, I don't know how they're going to make it more pretty, and it doesn't seem like Chris Finch has a whole lot of ideas right now either. Let's finish with the cooler, the wild, standing in stark contrast to the Wolves. Yeah, they're five, four, and one, which is really five and five if you count the losses. Wolves are four and four. Their five, four, and one feels a lot different than the Wolves four and four does right now because the Wild is on the upswing after that 0 and three start. Five, one, and one since then. A four, one win over Montreal on Tuesday night. Watched some of that game. A lot going on last night, including World Series. Phillies took a two, one series lead over the Astros. Five home runs in that game, so I was kind of flipping back and forth with that. But you know, the Wild, uh, Kirill Kaprizov continues to do Kirill Kaprizov things. Two more goals in this game, um, just having an, another tremendous season. They got Marco Rossi his first assist, first point of his NHL career in this game. Maybe that'll get him going a little bit more. Um, Eric Sinek had a good game. Flurry, 35, 35 sh- uh, shots, thirty four saves. Um, again, he's been great since that really terrible start to the year. So a lot of things getting smoothed out for the Wild, even though they're missing some of their regulars. Um, a lot of their you know, a lot of their depth players coming through in this game. And, you know, got to say, Matt Boldy has been very impressive to me, too, this season. Had a goal and an assist in this game. I think one of the storylines going into the year was how Boldy would fare without Kevin Fiala in the lineup. Uh, things like Seems like things are going just fine. Six goals, four assists, ten points in in those 10 games so he is off to a very good start um ranking up among the the leaders in goals in the nhl um he's got to take a back seat to kirill kaprizov like i said eight goals now for kaprizov tied for third in the nhl but you know just in general this feels like a much different vibe for the wild now which is a good thing for them and uh, they're they're a fun watch right now they were a, they were not a fun watch at the, at the beginning of the year they kept falling behind i know they were playing some dramatic games, but just the holes in their game earlier this season and being able, being able to patch those up this quickly, get to the right side of 500 this quickly has got to be pretty gratifying for Dean Evison. So kudos to them. Good win for them again. We'll see if they can keep it going and maybe the Wolves can take a lesson from the Wild. That'll do it for me today. Good stuff coming up the rest of this week as well. Enjoy the rest of your unseasonably warm Wednesday. Hope you listen to this somewhere outside if you didn't. Uh, It's going to get colder. You know it is. So please enjoy the day as best you can. Talk to you again tomorrow.